family feuds, why they happen, and how to avoid them on the next On Air with Myrick O'Connell right now. Family feuds, we've all heard about them. Could they have been avoided? Elder law attorney Arthur Bergeron from Myrick O'Connell is here to share some insights and advice. Arthur, welcome to On Air with Myrick O'Connell. It's great to be here, Howard. I always enjoy these chances to talk to you because you're obviously an informed asker. And so I feel like the questions are always great. Yes, I I yearn to be an informed asker. So first, Arthur, this is quite the topic. I want to just ask you, why do family feuds occur in the legal arena? Sometimes, in many cases, well, let me put it this way. Family feuds in the legal arena, that is, family feuds for which people are paying lawyers to represent them, typically involve money. But there are two other pieces that are really involved. One is bad blood. The reason why people are fighting is because something bad has happened, right? Now, that bad thing may have been a long time ago, and these people may have been fighting for a long time. There is just family dysfunction that just continues after people have died. But then there is also feuding that occurs because there's money involved, and it's not clear where the money's supposed to go, because everybody could use the money. Everybody could use the money, and every everybody will assume that they should be getting more sometimes than they otherwise are deserving of. The reason why they think that is because there's ambiguity. And, and there's ambiguity in your documents. There's ambiguity in things that you've done. And that's what's causing the family feud. Now, tell us, if you can, the three common scenarios that happen after someone dies that sometimes precipitate these family feuds, if you, if you wouldn't mind, Arthur. Sure. So probably the one that people often assume is the only family feud, because it's kind of the one that you see on TV, is the the contest over the will. People are challenging the will, oh, it's not valid, and yada, yada, yada. So that, you know, that's really common. That is presumed to be the most common family feud, although it isn't, right? The second one is there is this situation where you've got a will and, and you're leaving everything equally to all of your kids, Let's say you've got a, a person who's been caring for you, like typically a daughter who has been or a son who's been managing things for you. And so you say, you know, I really want to take care of you. And but I don't want to get all of your other siblings upset about the fact that I'm not being equal. And so they put they put that that other son or daughter on an account, a joint account. And they die, and now the the son or daughter has become the owner of the account. And other people find out about it, and they always find out. And now there's a fight about whether that money really should be going to the estate, right? So that's the second one. And then the third is after you die, you've named someone to manage things for you, but there's a fight with the manager, either because the the manager is thinking – that they deserve more than they do deserve, right? Or the other people think that the manager deserves less than he deserves. And so there's a fight over how much the manager is being, the manager, whether it's the personal representative under the will or the trustee of a trust, there's a fight over how much they're paying themselves. So there's a fight over how long the probate is taking and over whether the expenses are legitimate. There are all those kinds of disputes that can occur. So those are the three most common. Lots of issues can come up. So the question is how to avoid them. And let's talk about that if we could, Arthur. 
How can these be avoided? The most important way that you can avoid feuds is by being transparent in what you do so that it is clear because the, the big difficulty with a family feud after you're dead is that you're dead. So nobody can ask you, well, what are we supposed to do here? Right now, while you're alive, of course, they can usually ask you. Right. And, and, and no one can challenge what you want because it's your money. Right. After you're dead, of course, that's a problem. So the, the most important thing is or the best thing you can do is to kind of be transparent and to be clear. In that case involving the possible feud between the people who are running the estate and the, and the surviving joint tenant on a bank account, one thing that you can do before you die is to tell people, right, or to write something down to other people in the family saying, you know, my daughter, Mary Jr., has been taking care of me. She's been doing everything for me. And so, you know, there's this account that I've got, and I decided I'm going to give that money to her, Right. Now, if you're married, you may not want to actually tell that to your kids while you're still alive, right? But if you don't, the main thing is that there be some record of it so that after your death, it's clear what you wanted to have happen to that account. So one possibility would be, for example, in your will, to actually say that, to say regarding joint accounts that I may own at the time of my death. If there's a named surviving joint owner, it's my intention that that person get the money, right? Or if that's not your intention, if if your daughter was really just taking care of the money uh, for your convenience and you didn't want the money to all be going to her, then you may want to say that in the will also. It is my intention that any account on which uh, I'm named as a joint owner, that the money will pass through my estate following my death. That will actually be enforceable, even though the law presumably, in the absence of that, is that a surviving joint owner becomes the the owner of the account. So you want to take steps that make these things clear, right? Then regarding this whole question of, well, is the person whom you've named to administer your estate doing it appropriately, right? You may try to build in some safeguards. You may want to say that if you've named one of your children as the personal representative of your estate or as the successor trustee of your trust, and the others don't think that he's doing a good job, you may want to give the others a mechanism to have him removed. Now, the mechanism typically can't be that that child is going to be removed and one of the other children is going to get named because then that's another whole family feud, right? But you may want to say that there's a mechanism through which those other children can cause that child to be removed who is now serving as the trustee or the personal representative. And that in that case, somebody else will be named, right? Some third party to resolve this, right? Or if you already know that there's family dysfunction, then you may want to say, when I die, I'm naming this third party to handle all this, right? Many people will think that they should be naming a professional as the manager after they die, whether it's a professional, whether it's a bank or a lawyer or an accountant or a trust company or somebody after they die. And typically, I never recommend that. I never recommend that. I said, you know, the best person to appoint to manage things after you die is the person you trust the most. Because that person 
if they need legal assistance, they can go hire the legal assistance. If they need an accountant, they can hire it. But what you can't hire is trust, right? So you, so you name the person that you trust the most, right? But if you think there's going to be a fight, or if you think that it, it, you want to prepare for this because you know there's been some dysfunction, you may want to say that if that person that you've named is removed, automatically the new successor is going to be somebody like the, the attorney, for example, right? And the, and, or you may want to name the attorney right off the bat if you know there's going to be dysfunction, right? But the, the goal of this is to, if you, if you don't want the kids to be fighting, the goal is to make things as clear as possible and ideally not to set one child up against the others by naming one child if you know the others are going to be mad at. Very helpful information, Arthur. Now, one of the key solutions to avoiding family feuds, and you mentioned a lot of this, is create a trust to avoid the probate process and keep control of your assets. You'd want to make the trust revocable and amendable. Is is that right? To the extent that you want to minimize the chance that these fights are going to occur in public, that's really the way to go. Because the, the issue with a will is that in order for the will to be considered to be valid, there is this process through which the will is filed in court. And anybody who has an objection to the validity of the will can challenge the validity of that will before it ever gets accepted by the probate court. The process is really designed to make sure that the will really is your last will and testament, but, but the process is cumbersome. And it provides a way, if in the event that there is bad blood, it, it provides a way for people whom you really don't think should be really involved in the process to get involved in the process. So if you have a child, and this, this is not unfortunately an uncommon situation, if you have a child who is what I'll call the black sheep, or a child that you may have cut out of the will, you may not be providing for them at all in the will, right? Because you feel that, oh, the kids, you know, I've already given him money. This kid is nothing but trouble. If the process of distributing your assets has to go through probate, that child is going to have the ability to say something. Because if the will weren't valid, he'd be an interested party. He'd be getting money. And therefore, he has the right to challenge all of that. So we can just gum things up. If you want to really avoid that, then probably the best thing to do is to avoid ever having to go through that probate process. And the best way to do that is to create a revocable and amendable trust, revocable in that whatever you've put into it, you can always take out of it, amendable in that it's changeable at any time while you're alive. You name yourself as the trustee of that trust so that you'll be in complete control of all of these assets, of all your assets while you're alive. But then you would say that following your death, whoever you were going to name as the personal representative or the used to be called the executor of your estate, you name that person as the successor trustee. And if you structure things that way, then the day after you die, that new person steps right in, can distribute the assets right away. They don't have to ask permission from anyone. There is no going through probate. There is no public fight if there's a problem. There's, it, it's a really handy way of really reducing the chances of that kind of fight showing up. But having a trust isn't a magic pill, Arthur, especially if it isn't done right. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, even in the trust, you may want to make sure that you've covered what might happen if there's a fight, right? So 
you may have appointed as that trustee, the person that you really think would do, be doing a great job. Oftentimes this comes up. If you have several children, but one of them is like a business person. And so you'd say to yourself, oh, well, he's the business person or she's the business person. They're the best person to have to manage all of this thing, right? But you may not realize that the person's a business person, but their business is collapsing or they've got tremendous debt to the IRS. So they may be the worst person to be handling all of this stuff because they may have some incentive to try to siphon off money. So you just don't know any of those things. So in the trust, what you may want to do is provide ahead of time some kind of failsafe in the event that any of that stuff happens. So for example, you say in the trust, if I die, I'm naming so-and-so as the successor trustee, but if the other children have a problem with that, they have the ability to have him removed, right? And appoint somebody else, except that somebody else is then going to be a third party, right? So that you don't automatically name the third party, but you say, in the event that there's a fight, here's who you have to go, you're going to have to go to. So it's important to get the trust drafted correctly. So Arthur, as we close this podcast, what would be your closing advice to our listeners about family feuds, how to avoid them, how to deal with issues? I think the most important thing is that regarding any of the documents that you're doing, you want things to be as clear as possible. The best thing you can do to avoid fights is to be transparent. Ideally, especially if you're not distributing things equally, to give your kids some sense of that ahead of time, but also to just kind of acknowledge the fact that don't deny it if you know there is some bad blood among your kids. You know, I'm sure you may very well feel terrible about that. Nobody wants this, but the worst thing you can do is deny it. What you want to try to do is kind of plan for that and say, given that bad blood, what is the structure that I can have for my estate plan? that's going to keep that bad blood from turning into a legal bath. Nobody wants to be wasting any of their money after they die on a bunch of people paying lawyers. I've never had anybody tell me that, that, oh my God, what I really want to do is when I die, I want to leave some money to the government. I want to leave some money to the Department of Revenue. Well, nobody ever says they want to leave any money to their lawyer either. you know. And so if you don't, then the best way to deal with that is to plan for it ahead of time by minimizing the chance that bad blood can turn into a legal battle. Thanks, Arthur. We've been talking with Myrick O'Connell, elder law attorney Arthur Bergeron, about family feuds, how to avoid them, what the issues are, and how you can deal with them before the feud arises. Arthur, how can folks contact you if they have questions about this issue or other elder law issues? Best way would be just call my direct line, which is 508-860-1470. I'd be happy to talk to folks. And if you've got an issue, better to deal with it ahead of time. Thank you so much, Arthur. Appreciate it. Howard, thank you. I'm Howard Kaplan. It's On Air with Myrick O'Connell. Take care and stay safe. This podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Myrick O'Connell. It is intended to inform you of developments in the law and to provide information of general interest. It is not intended to constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. This podcast may be considered advertising under the rules of the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court. Mm-hmm.